All right. <clears throat> Welcome, everybody. I think we're finishing up on the first Thessalonian series. Um, and today's message, as we kind of close uh, in the Thessalonian, book of Thessalonians, uh, is titled Spiritual Postures for Godly Living. Spiritual Postures for Godly Living. And this is just Paul's final remarks, his instructions to the Thessalonians as he's kind of ending, the, ending his letter to them wondering how they are. And it's always interesting for me of just seeing what are the things that Paul mentions at the very end. And some are very specific and unique to the church, but I also think that sometimes it brings to light the things that are important and on his heart and the things that are transcendent in time and place of what that looks like for, for people following and growing in God. And I think that we see that today as we look into the last few <clears throat> verses in chapter five, of the spiritual posture that Paul is instructing and encouraging, admonishing the people to live out. All right, so let's let's first look at that. <clears throat> and I'm going to look at these three postures. First, the posture of gratitude, right? Having a posture of gratitude, a posture of dependency, and lastly, a posture for transformation, waiting for God and, and the design for him to transform them. All right, so let's look at the passage today, and we'll read through 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 onwards. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He ends this in, that, in this way. And I want to just to, to take a step back and just to kind of remember just what they're going through and what he's speaking about. Right? The first idea, this posture of gratitude, is one that, that really stands out. There, you know, what we've been mentioning and what we've been seeing is that there was a lot of persecution, a lot of persecution that they perhaps were encountering. Paul was encountering, the people might have uh, <clears throat> gone through. And for them to have this posture of gratitude is one that Paul is really mentioning and making clear. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. You know, this is something that, you know, when life is good, when things are going well, when people say this, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I got it. It's something I'll, I know I'll do. But Paul is mentioning it to people, to this church that he knows that has gone through persecution, suffering. And he's telling them, hey, remember, rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Right? He's reminding them, admonishing them in ways of this is the life that of a posture of gratitude that you want to approach, even in <clears throat> your suffering, even in your difficulties. Notice he says, in all circumstances. Right In all that we go through, in all the circumstances, he, he is encouraging them, give thanks, rejoice, have joy, pray continually. It doesn't mean, I got to make sure, it doesn't mean for all circumstances. 
right? There are some terrible situations and terrible things that happen. And doesn't mean to give thanks for those things, but in those things that they can rejoice and thanks. I'm reminded of <clears throat> this man, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? In during World War II, you know, there's a lot of preaching and, and from the German church about, you know, just starting to move towards this idea of, of isolating and, and um, oppressing the Jewish people. And in that way, he actually recognized, hey, this is not right. This is something that I don't believe. And in that way, even in the terrible situation, he actually decided, having not been in Germany at that moment, coming back and preaching on that, trying to correct the church, trying to speak on what is true. And later on, he's thrown into the concentration camps. And even in the concentration camps, he's, there's been times where he could escape, that he chooses to stay. He chooses to stay to share the gospel, to share the truth of Jesus to those around him. I think it's not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances, that there is a posture that we can see and think through of what we could rejoice in, what we could give thanks. And that is fueled really through our relationship, this prayer continually. A whole message could, you know, there's sermons probably of all these, the, these three verses that could just focus completely on this. But I want to just kind of touch on it in certain ways, because I think this is something that is hard when things are hard. Not when things are easy, but when things are hard to kind of remember these words that Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians. And I believe for us that we could give thanks in all circumstances, right? In all circumstances. And that we can approach God in certain ways of our posture, our heart, our mind, right? A lot of times our posture and of this attitude really comes across and affects all that we think about, all that we view. And it is a time of practicing gratitude that allows us to slow our minds down our hearts to remember, to recount, and to recognize what we have to be grateful for. Right? It helps us take a, a mental and emotional shift during the day to see, I am choosing to be grateful. I am choosing to be joyful. I'm choosing to spend this time with God and pray and see. Right? I, I think I realize more and more, this is a hard posture. I think really, I think as a person that is, I would say I like to be in control or plan things with detail. And I used to be like that more so having the details planned out, knowing the details. Now I'm like, okay, I'm okay with just 80% of the details because I realized, man, I, I, am, I frustrate myself when I'm like, oh man, there's these last 20% that I could have done better. I could have done this. And it is hard in those moments to just step back and just be, okay, I, I just need to be grateful. I need to be joyful. I can be joyful. I could choose to be joyful. I could choose to be grateful. I can choose to spend this time and to see and recount what God is doing in my life. And I think specifically <clears throat> recently, what has always in the last few years stood out for me is this idea of, of David, right? And the picture on the left um, is when of D when he was just born. And I remember 
uh, for those who have walked with us during certain times of just how hard it was for us to have a child. And during that time, we would spend time in a, a year and a half just praying, okay, God, you know, would you bless us? Give us the gift of a child. And now we have three, right? And then I, at the, when I heard about the third, I was like, oh no, how's my schedule? What's my life going to look like? And obviously I'm thinking for myself. But, you know, the kids, they love Caleb. They're always around him. They want to spend time with him. But it is something that I realize more and more. Sometimes I have to take a step back. I have to take a step back and realize I chose to do this. I wanted this. And that it's okay that my life is not what I expect it to look like right now. Right. And it is those times where I spend in prayer when I'm wrestling. Wait, why am I feeling certain ways? Why do I feel like? oh man, I, I just want to take a nap or I want to do this. I want to do this for myself. Why is it so hard for me at that, those moments? And I, I'm, I'm reminded, and it's, it's funny how God really, he, you know, he knows, he knows my prayers. He knows your prayers. He knows our prayers and that he speaks in certain ways. That as I prayed and I was like, God, help me through this. Sometimes he's like, didn't you ask for this? And I was like, oh no. I'm like, oh no, you know, he's like, didn't you ask for this? Didn't you ask to have children? And more so than that, weren't your, your personal experiences with your father in ways that you wanted it to be different, right? Where I was thinking, you know, when I was a child, since, <clears throat> since I was 10, my dad was working overseas and I would see him every six months for two weeks. And of that time, it would be even shorter because he would see his friends see us as a family. And it, it would be just not a lot of time, a personal time with him. And throughout those years, as, he, as I grew up and I went to college and I left home, I saw him even less sometimes, right? And it, it was something that I've always thought about is like, oh, I would not choose to do what he did. And I, I would choose to spend time with my kids. I would choose to do certain things. But at the same time, now that I'm actually getting to do that, I'm like, oh God, it's hard. And I think it is in moments like that, that I'm reminded, I'm reminded of this, of this passage and why it's so hard for me even to preach on it is I'm reminded this is a posture of gratitude is something that God has called us to live. A posture that reminds us that we can choose to give thanks in all circumstances, that we can choose to pray and we can choose to rejoice that it is in those times that our hearts and our minds can be recalibrated, that can be realigned perhaps, and seeing what God is doing. Right, this past week <clears throat> is one that I realized, you know, the summer is ending and I'm going to do something different with them. I took uh, David and Joel and my brother-in-law, Charlie, actually took a day off work to come with us uh, to Hershey Park. And, you know, and this is him riding uh, uh, the roller coaster, one of the few that he could get on, um, that it was fast. And it was funny because his hair was all wet. And at the end, it's all poofy, right? And he was having so much fun. There's a video of him right in the beginning of just like so scared as he's going up there. And then at the very end, just enjoying it. And I think those, these kind of moments that I hope is imprinted in my heart, in my mind, are the moments why I realize I've been blessed with this time and that I should try my best. And that doesn't mean to go to the extreme of what I didn't get and to spend all my time. And I know for, for parents, for stay at home, for single parents, it's, it's all different stories. 
But I think for my own journey with God, that is one that I asked for. And I realized I want to do my best to enjoy the times, but yet also have certain times to be able to do the things that God has called me to do. And if I get to take that posture that I can actually enjoy the times that I spend with my kids rather than to see so much of it as I'm providing only their care. I think this heart of gratitude is one that Paul is mentioning and encouraging the Thessalonians and also really reminding them that is, is this, he makes it so clear for this is the God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I think about that in light of the, what I just shared about my personal story with my kids, that man, that this is a life that God has given me that I get to do, that not everyone, when, even when they want to, can do that, that I could enjoy this and I want to enjoy it. And I think Paul is mentioning it to the Thessalonians as they are in difficult times, that they are reminded that they have this new life in Christ, that their life is now different. They're reconciled with God, that they have this relationship. And he, throughout Thessalonians, mentions that, and he is so specific, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He is telling them, be reminded. Know that what you have now is greater than anything you had in the past. He's bringing them to understand, even though their circumstances may be difficult, that that does not have to define who they are. That they are people of God defined as sons and daughters, that they can see their life differently. <clears throat> I think although that's easy to say, I know that that's hard to do. It's hard to have this, but I want to say those who live this out, who are living this out, who are trying to live this out, that there is a notable difference at times in people's lives. That I, when I entered college, I noticed people living this out and I was wondering why are they so different than what, what I'm thinking about? And that that has changed my life. And I believe that will change each one of ours as we continue and those around us. But this is really dependent on this relationship with God. It's not dependent on the circumstances, something, what, what is tied together, but it's something external to the circumstances. And that is through the prayer and the relationship with God. And I think that's the second <clears throat> point that I want to mention is this posture of dependency, this posture of this relationship with Christ, with, through the Holy Spirit, right? He says this specifically, he says, do not quench the spirit. And he says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. You know, in the early church, what we see, and I'll show you a couple verses, is that prophecies were happening seemingly on a common basis, at least not rare. Right. It says in First Corinthians, when Paul's writing the Corinthian church, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecies, writing to them, speaking to them about this, about these different gifts. In Romans 12, the author mentions that in verses six to eight, he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. 
If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You know, I don't know exactly, you know, what prophecy will look like. And it's definitely not taken and should not be taken to the authority of the word of God in today's time. But I find it interesting that when that this comment of prophesying is prophesizing is connected to teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, that we don't cut that part out, you know, and, and what we think about, but rather he just puts it all together as a way that, hey, you should expect that this could happen, that it could be a gift of this. I think in our Western culture and civilization, perhaps we don't see that as much. And I honestly don't know. It's not, I don't, I know I don't have that gift. Right. And I know that it is something that we should be very careful in. And if it contradicts scripture, that it, we should be even more careful. So right? that we should not take it in, but this is what scripture talks about. And even in acts, the book of acts, Chapter 2, verses 16. This is a prophecy that is spoken and can remind it of to the people at that time. He says, it says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Like I said, I don't know what it is, but I am. Sometimes I find it hard when any teacher just says, okay, it's absolutely not happening ever again. It could, but I, I, I definitely like to leave space of, I don't know. There's spaces where we see in scripture that it speaks in the last days. What days are they? That there could be these gifts and ways of how God moves through the Holy Spirit that is maybe even supernatural that we cannot explain. But I think this is why Paul is so specific to them of not just taking it in, but testing them all. He is very specific. Test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. When I think about this, I want to summarize in ways that he, he is mentioning to be open to the Holy Spirit in the ways that the Spirit can move, but to test that, to see if it's true, if it's good, and reject every kind of evil. You know, oftentimes we may hear and it could be, and that's why I'm always, I want to be slow with my tongue of when I've heard stories of when God told me this, God says that for you. I mean, one thing for God to speak to, to each individual and how he leads. It's another thing when I'm careful, when God speaks through a person to tell someone else, this is what you have to do. That there is an aspect of carefulness of, of things that we need to have caution with. But I think what we could take from this verse in this passage is that there is a way that the spirit moves that I think we need to test and see. That we can receive in ways that we're not maybe uncomfortable with. But that is true to what is good and, and who God is. There's a dependency on that. There's a dependency on the Holy Spirit and how he transforms our thoughts, our values. <clears throat> I know um, I shared this story a while ago, but when I graduated out of college, one of the things that I remember 
uh, going to a small group at that time and just realizing, and Christy was in that group and, and there's many others, maybe other people were in this room or in that, but I remember going there and just thinking, oh man, this is all about my relationship with God. If I'm doing good with God, everything is all right. You know, like it doesn't, this community, it's okay. I don't really even need community. That's how I've thought about my life. But what's funny is over these years, over these years, I realized the importance. I realized the value of community, of fellowship, of what Paul even talks about, of having these people, spiritual leaders to admonish, to lead, to guide, and also people that I can disciple or people that I can pour into. Community, that life with God is meant to be in community. I think about that because I realized, you know what? I think that's what the spirit was speaking and leading me, transforming my life, understanding. And likewise, there's many other topics, one of which in the near future, hopefully we'll go into is God's justice and how there's unjust things that are happening all around us. But as he transforms, as he's challenging our values, our thoughts, I think this is where I want to encourage, don't quench it. Test it out. See how it is compared to scripture. Wrestle with it to see what is good and what is true. But also reject evil. Reject it if it's not good and it's not true. Because I think what God is doing and what the Holy Spirit is leading in our lives is the last point that I want to mention is this posture for transformation this posture for transformation. Paul mentions it very specifically. He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And probably what's even more, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That there is a desire when Paul's encouraging them, that he's saying and praying for them, that there is an idea of being sanctified, being transformed, being made holy, right? <clears throat> Sam already preached on this a little, mostly, so I don't want to go too much into it. But just for, you know, I think sometimes when I think of these big words, just, just the word sanctification, the act of making or declaring something holy, the action or process of being freed from sin or purified, the action of causing something to be seen morally right or acceptable, that there is a pull towards God. There is a purification. There is declaring some, making something holy. I mentioned this is that as we have this relationship, as we spend this time with God, the older I get, I realize perhaps, and maybe because I'm not making these big decisions of where I'm going necessarily, and I need to ask for guidance of all these steps, but I realized that a lot of how God is speaking to me more recently is how is he purifying me? How is he transforming my life? How is he making me more, become more like Christ? What are the areas that he's addressing and making clear to me? I think about that because I think oftentimes we could think, wait, God, he's silent. He's not speaking to me. I don't know what he's doing. But rather, I think there are other aspects of what he speaks on, how he's leading, and what he cares about. Even in my quiet time recently, as I was studying Acts, 
you know, as it briefly just mentions in Acts 7, Moses's life. And Moses, as he was trying to do what is right, when he was coming and seeing his people, he kills a man, an Egyptian that was, you know, hurting other people, his people. And then he's, he realizes like, oh, I'm trying to do something that's right for the, my people. And he comes out the next day and then people recognize him and says, hey, who are you to judge me? Who are you to be our judge? We didn't ask you to do this. And what's interesting is that he immediately flees and goes off to become a shepherd and it's kind of in the desert. But what's interesting for me specifically is how it says that for 40 years he was doing that. And then suddenly he encounters God in a burning bush. I wonder in those 40 years what he was going through in his life. Was he wondering, God, are you distant? Did I mess up? What happened here? I wondered how he was even interested in the burning bush or even willing to kind of approach God in that way. That was he wondering, God, are you silent? Why aren't you leading me back or doing other things? Or perhaps he may have given up or felt I'm not good enough. But that is not the heart of God. What we see in Thessalonians, what we see in Moses' life, that God meets them where they are and he draws them to him. He draws them in ways he's like, encounters Moses. And in that blink in the eye, that one day that his life was changed again. That I think many times that God may not always be speaking about just where we need to go and what, but who we are, who he is. That are we willing to really seek that and desire that more than what he'll do and how he'll bless our life. That is the idea of when Paul mentions that he will sanctify you through and through. And it is not just a little part, but the whole spirit, your whole soul and body be kept blameless. I think one of my, sometimes my pet peeves is when I meet people and, and myself because of my dad and others, they mentioned to me, oh, you know, you can't teach old dogs the new tricks, you know, and that's the way that they shut me down. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to change. This is how I am. I'm always like this. Just do it. And I, I used to do that too. I'm going to be very honest. But I realized when I read these passages, I'm convinced and, and convicted that our whole lives is what God is working in and sanctifying and transforming to become more like Christ. Not just a little part, not just on Sundays. Not just when you're at church, but the whole life, what we think about, what we go through, how do we approach life? I love how it ends. And he specifically says this, the one who calls you is faithful and he will, he will do it. It's not so much of, oh, I, you know what? I need to get through this sanctification. I need to do this. I need to pick the no, he's encouraging them, but yet reminding them the promise that God who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He invites us into that transformation, but he is also empowering us in doing that. Paul mentions this again in Philippians <clears throat> chapter one, verses four to six. You know, as he he's speaking to them, he says, he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. These promises of 
God's working in you and through you, and he will bring it to completion. I think what we can ask ourselves sometimes is, are we open? Do we desire? Do we have a posture for that? To say, God, transform me. Like I mentioned before, I think as we think about this, the one prayer that I, you know, I used to pray a lot more, but now I'm very careful in praying. And I think it's just the fear in my life is those prayers of saying, God, break me and mold me. God, mold me in whatever you want. Break, break down all the things that I've had that is not of you. I don't know if it's age or just being broken down too many times and having these wounds and just seeing what it is, but I know that it's beautiful, but I know that it takes time. But it is a desire, a posture for transformation, a posture and a desire for God to work in our lives. All of this, what Paul is mentioning, is in light of the second coming of Jesus, right? <clears throat> And mentioned this in, in worship. Is you are all children of light and children of the day. And it goes on, let us be sober. It says, since we belong to that day, let us be sober. Since we belong to that, let us be sober. Sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. What's interesting is all of this, when, when Paul's writing, is in light of the second coming of coming of Jesus. And that when we have that foundational belief value in our lives, that perhaps it changes how we think about right now. <clears throat> Let me give you an example to kind of close it up. As I was driving to the retreat, one of the features I love about Google Maps now is that it actually tells you sometimes where the speed traps are, right? And sometimes it used to be, I used to go on Waze, and, and that's the only place where it's user populated and you're like, oh, that's, I could trust that. But then on Google Maps, they're starting to use that. And I'm like, yes, you know, because there are times where I, you know, because I know that there is a speed trap, because I know that when there's construction on the, <clears throat> on 695 and it says there will be a photo, there could be photos taken, that I'm very careful and driving in those areas. And I look for them. I look behind the trash can in the porta potty that I know that they might park a car there. I don't know if you guys do this, but I, uh, I know that when there's signs of this, I'm like, okay, I know that it's going to happen. And even as I drive around traffic and everything else, I know Google has so much information on me, but even when I do that, when I see there's 10 minutes of traffic and it takes me a detour, I'm like, I'm going to go on the detour, right? Even though I know that if I go this way, I can always get home. This is how I do it. Why would I deviate? But when I know that there's something right in front of me and I know that it's going to be there, even though I can't see it, it's around the turn, I'm going to go on the detour knowing that I can trust Google, right? I think about that in the way that I think about how I trust Google is how do I trust the second coming and the realities of Christ? Is this so real for us when he talks about this, that we belong to the day that because of that, since we are that, let us be sober. Let us have these put on faith and love as a breastplate. Let us do that because we know, because we are not 
Our lives of the past is not there anymore. That we are children of light, children of the day, sons and daughters of God. Because of that, we choose and we live our lives in a different posture and a perspective. And I think that is what Paul is commending, encouraging the Thessalonians. It's not just to have these instructions as, oh, it's a good thing to do. But rather, this is your lifeline of what you see in the coming of Christ, what you can hold on to. That even in injustice, even in suffering, you know that Christ is coming, that evil will not prevail. That God has a plan. That God loves you. That for anyone struggling or wrestling with that, that those are the words that sometimes help us get through. That those are the words that Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians, and I believe those are the encouragements that we can also glean today. That there are realities in the spiritual world that I believe help us to make decisions of our, what we see tangible right now. And that if we can live with that, that is not optional, but the reality, I wonder what that will look like for each one of us. And at the end of this Thessalonians, at the end of the letter, what's, <clears throat> what Paul says is read it to every brother and sister. It's not just to specific people. It was reading it to everyone. He wants them to understand, to receive this. And I believe that if we have these spiritual postures, that it would help us in our walks, in our lives of wanting to live for God, in God. This posture of gratitude, of how we think about in our lives, what we see and we remember, do we just see it as a burden or do we see it as a place where we could give thanks, that we could rejoice. Our dependency on the Holy Spirit, on our relationship, this relationship with God. And lastly, a desire, a posture for transformation, for what God has promised and what God is doing in you currently and what he will continue to do is to sanctify us until Christ returns. Let's pray. Lord, help us, Lord, to just be reminded and anchored in that truth. That you will come, that you will prevail. That even when life seems faint, even when things seem out of order and when we feel lost and uncertain, when we are struggling, that you, Lord, Hold us in your hands, that you have our names written in the book of life, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we have this privilege and opportunity to have this relationship with you. I pray that is something that transforms us continually. That it is not only when we open the scriptures or come to church, but in all aspects, whether we are at work with our families, with our neighbors, 
doing errands. That, Lord, that you, Lord, will be glorified and held high in our lives, Lord. That people will see you in our life. And so, Lord, we pray for that. Help us to embrace it. Help us to desire it. We thank you for your grace and the ways that you draw us to you. Not out of fear, but out of love. And so, Lord, help us, Lord, as we are drawn to that, to live out these postures of life, Lord, perspectives of gratitude, of dependency, of transformation. We love you, and we thank you, Lord, for you are good all the time. In Jesus' name.